From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Sleep apnea is the major sleep disorder associated with stroke and vascular dementia. Today, I have with me in the studio an expert in sleep medicine, Dr. Antonio Calabres. He's a neurologist and the director of medical neurology at Upstate Sleep Center. Thank you for being here, Dr. Calabres. My pleasure. I, I think we ought to start with some definitions so we make sure our listeners know what we're about to talk about. Um, sleep apnea, that's when you stop breathing when you're sleeping? Yes, this is the condition during which uh, people stop breathing at night while asleep or have uh, shallow respirations, which are, are also uh, pathological. And uh, when there are more than uh, five per hour of sleep, we call it uh, uh, disorder. Anything less than five per hour of sleep doesn't uh, really count, but more than five, uh, it does. And uh, there are people who have uh, 60 or 70 episodes of respiratory disturbance uh, per hour of sleep during uh, the night. And uh, this may be associated with uh, low oxygen levels in blood, which could be rather uh, dangerous in terms of uh, causing uh, disturbances everywhere in the body, but uh, specifically at the level of the brain and heart. So 60 or 70 episodes, I mean, that doesn't sound like they're getting much air at all if, they're, if they have that many times that they stop breathing, right? Well, actually, they do get air because they don't die, and nobody dies, or very, very seldom people die in their sleep as a result of sleep apnea. And uh, the uh, reason why they do not die if they stop breathing is because the brain has alerting systems. And when the brain senses that uh, not enough air or oxygen is coming to the brain, it wakes up the patient. And we call that an arousal. Arousals are uh, awakenings of uh, 30 seconds or less. So they are not recorded in memory. The patient does not remember them. But if there are hundreds of arousals during the night, you can imagine that sleep is fragmented and of poor quality. And as a result, the patient is very tired and fatigued the following day. Oh, that makes mm. sense. Okay. Well, what does um, sleep apnea do to the body's cerebrovascular system? That's the, um, the system where the, the, travels, the, bl the blood travels through, right? Yes. There are, unfortunately, many ramifications to the bad things that sleep apnea does to the vascular system. First of all, it raises the blood pressure. So people with uh, severe or moderately severe sleep apnea generally have hypertension. And this is uh, the type of blood pressure that does not respond well to medications. Oh. In fact, if there is a patient uh, who is taking three medications or more to control the blood pressure, that person should be tested for sleep apnea because perhaps sleep apnea is interfering with a proper control of the blood pressure. Wow. Now, the good thing is that if uh, sleep apnea is treated successfully, the blood pressure comes down. And it's not uncommon to see that uh, after several weeks or months on uh, proper uh, treatment, CPAP, BiPAP, the blood pressure comes down such that uh, the medications need to be lowered. Hmm. 
Okay. So that's a, that's a phenomenon that we commonly see in our clinic. In addition to that, um, sometimes there is low oxygen associated with uh, respiratory disruption, and this low oxygen affects the heart, and these individuals are at high risk for developing uh, atrial fibrillation. Atrial fibrillation, it's common in old age, particularly if there is sleep apnea with low oxygen during the night. And atrial fibrillation is a major risk factor for stroke. Now that's an irregular heart rhythm? It's an irregular chaotic uh, heart rhythm that uh, sometimes has no symptoms at the level of the heart in terms of uh, palpitations. Other, t other times the patient feels palpitations, feels some chest uh, discomfort, feels uh, some generalized weakness, but atrial fibrillation should be treated and uh, much of the treatment is intended to prevent uh, strokes. In addition to that, when there is low oxygen, that could affect uh, certain areas of the brain, causing uh, what we call microinfarcts, uh, small vessel disease, generally in the central portions of the brain. What happens after many years of this kind of attack on the brain is that uh, the individual gets a situation where the core of the brain is partially disconnected from the cortical regions, and as a result, they develop uh, difficulty walking, perhaps some incontinence of urine, and loss of uh, executive uh, mental functions, in addition to poor memory. This is what we call vascular dementia. Vascular. Well, I was going to ask you the connection between sleep apnea mm -hmm. And stroke, but you just answered it that um, if if you have sleep apnea and you lead to atrial fibrillation, that increases your risk of stroke, right? Atrial fibrillation increases the risk of large strokes. Low oxygen during the night in patients with uh, moderately severe or severe sleep apnea, if not treated, could lead to micro or very small infarcts in uh, certain areas of the brain that end up disconnecting the core of the brain with the cortex and lead to this other form of vascular dementia, which also has a long name, Binswanger's disease. Anyway, it does, uh, it's a form of dementia that is uh, relatively unknown outside the neurology circles, but is probably relatively common particularly in patients with sleep apnea. There are other conditions like uh, uncontrolled hypertension and uh, diabetes uh, that can uh, contribute to this form of uh, vascular dementia. Let me remind listeners, uh, this is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with neurologist Dr. Antonio Calabres about how sleep apnea increases the risk for stroke and vascular dementia. Now, if someone has sleep apnea and they're being treated for it and they're using the CPAP, the breathing machine at night and they're vigilant with that, does, does their risk for stroke or high blood pressure, does that drop if, it's, if they're being treated well? That is our assumption okay. and that is our hope. However, there is, not, there is no good confirmation that that is the case. 
However, yeah. my strong recommendation is that if someone has sleep apnea, sleep apnea should be treated because we do know that it lowers the blood pressure. And uh, we are hoping that by doing so, the uh, chances of developing other vascular complications, particularly if the oxygen is corrected, that uh, that will improve the chances of surviving without atrial fibrillation, without vascular dementia. But the verification is still not there. So it sounds like if you're diagnosed with sleep apnea, there's not a cure for it. There is control. Control. And we can control sleep apnea with the breathing machines, with CPAP or BiPAP. We can control it. And it makes sense that if uh, sleep apnea causes all those problems during the night, the uh, low oxygen, uh, the uh, fragmentation of nocturnal sleep, the increases in blood pressure, it makes sense to control sleep apnea. And in fact, as I said before, we do know for a fact that uh, high blood pressure improves. It's controlled with a proper treatment of sleep apnea. The other thing that patients uh, notice is that uh, their level of uh, fatigue and sleepiness during daytime hours improves. And people who fall asleep driving their car tell me, no, I don't fall asleep any longer. People who fall asleep at uh, traffic lights, no, it doesn't happen anymore. My productivity at work is much uh, better than it used to be because I have more energy. So um, those are uh, the uh, effects of uh, treating uh, sleep apnea and, of course, uh, quality of life improves. So that's very important. So even though we still don't have good uh, research confirmation, but it will come, but we still don't have it, that uh, sleep apnea prevents uh, strokes and vascular dementia, sleep apnea should be treated. All right. Well, how often do you discover, uh, someone who's had a stroke and is in the hospital, how often do you discover that they have sleep apnea and they didn't know it? 75% of the patients who come with acute stroke to the stroke unit have uh, sleep apnea. Huh. I would say that perhaps half of them did not know it, or if they knew it, they are not uh, dealing with it uh, properly. They are not using their breathing machine. No one has insisted on how important it is and so on. So it is uh, a problem that we have to face on a daily basis in the stroke unit. So you need to treat the sleep apnea, obviously, it, yes. right, when they're Unfortunately, recovery. the uh, proper sleep studies are done as uh, outpatients because of uh, reimbursement is not uh, adequate uh, while in the hospital, so these have to be done as uh, outpatients. But in the meantime, we do treat them, although the pressures with, that we deliver are just uh, arbitrary pressures. But uh, we do recommend that after being discharged from the hospital, this patient should be tested formally in a sleep center. Does sleep apnea affect a person's ability to recover from stroke? Yes. Okay. If uh, sleep apnea is moderate or severe, it will affect uh, the rate of recovery from stroke. Among other things, because people who have uh, that type of sleep apnea are not motivated, have poor memory, and their rehabilitation uh, skills are much lower 
than those who are fully in command of themselves. So yes, it does interfere. And in fact, uh, if the sleep apnea is not treated, they continue to be at high risk uh, for stroke and blood pressure problems and so on. Well, I've read that um, obesity or being severely overweight um, contributes to sleep apnea. Are there things that people can do, preventive steps that people can take so they don't develop sleep apnea? Yes, indeed. Obesity is one of the risk factors for development of sleep apnea, among other things, because uh, the large abdomen interferes with the proper movement of the diaphragm. So the chest is compressed and uh, they don't breathe properly, but also because uh, fat is uh, accumulated in the throat, in the pharynx, and that uh, reduces the lumen, reduces the uh, uh, lumen and uh, the flow of air changes as a result of that. So uh, people who are uh, morbidly obese are at high, high risk for development of sleep apnea. Obviously, the uh, prevention is not to become obese, and obviously the, the, the cure, and let me say, let me insist, the cure is to reduce weight to uh, BMI of about 25. And we are talking about people whose uh, body mass index BMI is 40 or higher. So to reduce from 40 to 25 is not easy. They need medical professional help to do that. And, uh, but I have seen cases of uh, individuals who have uh, come down to a BMI of 25 and their uh, sleep apnea has disappeared. But not only that, their blood pressure is wonderful and their diabetes is gone. So reducing weight to a proper BMI could be curative. So that's the biggest thing. Yeah. So real quick before we have to wrap up, um, how would someone know they have sleep apnea? If the uh, bedmate or spouse says you snore loudly such that I cannot sleep with you or I cannot be in the same room. If relatives uh, hear the person snoring from outside the bedroom, that person could very well have sleep apnea. If the person says during the night I wake up and I have difficulty breathing, could be sleep apnea. If the person has risk factors for sleep apnea, such as uh, obesity, and they are sleepy during daytime hours and uh, fall asleep inappropriately, that person could have uh, sleep apnea. So with all these uh, signs and symptoms, they should go to their primary physician. And I'm pretty sure that the primary physician would immediately pick up the possibility that there is sleep apnea and refer the patient to our sleep center for proper uh, testing and treatment. Good to know. This has been very informative. My guest has been Dr. Antonio Calabres, a neurologist with expertise in sleep medicine. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.